You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Well, happy new year to everybody. Uh, glad it's our first Sunday of the new year. Lots of new, you know, New Year's bring great opportunities, great excitement. For some of you, new deductibles to meet. Isn't that exciting? That's always fun. Uh, here's something new for us as a church is that we finally have caught up with the 90s and we have online giving. Uh, so if you're like, you're like, you guys, I didn't give nothing to you have online. We have online now, so you can start. But uh, just one of the things that we finally got the kinks worked out on a little bit. So it's up and running on our website if that's kind of something that you, you'd rather move in that direction than the boxes in the back. Um, I think there's an app that comes along with it. I'm not in the tech side, so I don't know what's going on, but I got an email that there's an app that's coming out that has not only giving, but our sermons and, and announcements, and you can take notes on it. So more to come on that. I have no clue what that entails yet, but you'll know soon. So I know people, probably like three of us that have that app, so it'll be a well-used app, but um, that's coming up. So um, for us in the new year, one of the things we do is we get to study a new book together. And so if you're kind of visiting, and, and some of you probably are, or you're new to our church, uh, kind of we, three key words for us. We, we gather, then we grow and we go. So we gather to equip. And so when we get together in small groups or here or our high school or college or young adults, our goal is ultimately to be equipped, right? So that we grow and then we grow into uh, what a follower of Jesus looks like. And then we go and we be the church. That's kind of what we do. So one of the things we do on Sunday morning is we kind of sing and prepare our heart uh, so that we can be equipped by the scriptures and then we go and apply the scriptures. And after actually we, we kind of spend some time in the word, we actually spend some time singing again, which is for some of you unique. But we just kind of want to let that settle and think about it and give some time for meditation and uh, the spirit to keep moving. So what we often will do is we'll start uh, at the beginning of a book of the Bible and we'll work our way through to the end of that book of the Bible. And so we're going to do that today with a new Book and, and all scripture is relevant and it's alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. But this book I th- that we're going to study, I think, is even not more so, but it, it just it rings true of where we live because the theme of the book is this, and it's mentioned two times in the book that that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right. Sounds like today, right? Every, it, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it. Or if you want it, do it. If it feels good, go ahead. I mean, that's the idea that, that we live in a world that no one wants a king. And we think it's so, no, you know, so novel, like this is like something that's all modern. Now, 3,000 years ago, same issues. No one wants a king. No one wants to be told what to do. But everybody needs a king. And that's what we've entitled this series, is everyone needs a king. And so we're going to talk about that as we work over the next couple of months through the book of Judges. Book of Judges, seventh book of the Bible. So if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't know where that is, just going to open the glossary and find, you know, it's the seventh book of the Bible. Um, and, and, and I know oftentimes you maybe came from places where like, why, why do we study the Old Testament? Uh, because Paul says that everything that was written beforehand, i.e. the Old Testament, is for your instruction, it is for your endurance, so that you may have hope. And so what we get to do is look at a people who live doing what was right in their own eyes to, so that we understand what it means to live under a king in that world. And we do have a king, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And so we're going to talk about that for the next couple months. And, and here's some homework for you. I forgot to challenge the first service, so you guys will be more more ready, is read through the book of Judges this week. 
21 chapters. You get three chapters a day keeps the devil away, right? I mean, you can handle three <laughs> chapters a day. Uh, all right, so just read chapter one through three. We're gonna cover, one, we're gonna cover a bunch today. We're gonna be moving today because it kind of sets up where we're going. But just read three chapters a day. And you're gonna be like, this is a crazy book. I've never heard some of this stuff. Yes, it is. Uh, it is a crazy book. Uh, but it's an important book. It covers a quarter of Israel's Old Testament history. It's a lot of history, right? It covers 350-ish years of their history. And so we're going to talk about that today a little bit. But uh, I have two big goals for us today. All right. And, and again, I have to apologize to the first service. I didn't tell them this. I got some good feedback after the first service. I'm going to be moving. We're going to be grooving. And you know, I already talk fast because I'm a Yankee and the Eagles play at four. So I'm real excited. So, so you got to keep up. But I promise everything kind of I cover, big picture I cover, we're going to keep coming back to. That's the, that's the point of studying a book. So you can write it down. You can listen to the podcast. You can slow it down on iTunes to half and you can understand me better, right? Uh, so if that's what you need to do. But I want to, number one, I want to cover the background of the book today. Because when you study a, a book, you ought to know what's going on around and why is it written and, and what's the, what's the significant, how does it fit in the big picture of the Bible, especially when you're Old Testament. And then we're going to jump into the first chapter and a little bit extra and kind of see how, how do we get from a place where of victory to a place of defeat so fast, because that's what happened. They went from victory to defeat. They went from loving God to everyone did what was right in his own eyes just like that, all right? So let me start with the background. Where does this fit in the Bible? I'm gonna use my little trusty whiteboard, which I never use, um, to kind of help explain this a little bit. And if you can't read my handwriting, that's because I was a PE major, all right? So we start, you know, you start Genesis 1, God creates the heaven and the earth, everything falls apart. And then a couple chapters later, chapter 12, we're introduced to a guy named Abe, or Abraham, right? And God promises that through Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Everyone's going to be blessed through this one guy, through the seed of Abraham. Uh, he's going to have a child. The problem is he's an old man and his wife's an old lady. But it happens. Now, it takes 20 plus years, but they have a kid and they name him Isaac, which means laughter. Because they laughed, they thought it was funny that a 100-year-old dude and an 85-year-old dude would have a baby. I don't think that's funny. I think it's scary. They thought it was funny. They call him funny man, right? So Isaac, who the promise is coming through, he has twin boys. Everyone's happy with twins. One's named Red, or Esau, because he had red body hair, right? As Esau. He's red man, right? Not the chew. You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. And then the second one is... Jacob, whose name means liar, supplanter, deceiver. And he lives up to his name because he steals old Red's birthright. And then he has to run away because Red wants to kill him. And so he goes and runs away, finds himself a little filly. He comes back. And one night, he gets in a wrestling match with an angel. And that angel turns out to be God himself. And God kind of lets him hang in because God could have smoked him. Right? But he wrestles all night long, and at the end of the night, he knocks Jacob's hip out of his socket. And Jacob says, bless me uh, to God. He realizes it, and God says, I'm changing your name from liar, deceiver, to Israel, which means one who strives with God. Right? Now, Israel has a couple wives and a couple concubines, which is never good. Right? And they have a, basically a who-can-make-the-most-boy-child contest. 
And so his wives, who are sisters, which makes it even more complex, have 12 boys. And they name them things like Levi, Reuben, Judah, Joseph. These become the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? Now, the older ones, they don't like this one named Joseph, and so they sell him off to Egypt. And so he gets sent down to Egypt, he gets thrown in jail, a lot of things happen, but eventually he, run, he becomes second in charge, and there's a famine in Israel, and all of Israel, which is about 120 people that time, goes down to Egypt, and Joseph saves his family, and they end up living in Egypt. This is a pyramid. I'm not an art major. I was a PE major. That looks pretty good, though. Okay, that's good. They end up living in Egypt for 400 plus years until Pharaoh makes them a slave. This, by the way, is the book of Genesis. God sends Charlton Heston (laughs) and he delivers them out of Egypt. That's the book of Exodus. There are a million plus of them at this point. He gives them his law. That's the book of Leviticus and a little bit of Deuteronomy. And they head for what? The promised land. They go back to the land that was theirs originally that Jacob and all these people were living in after 400 years. So they're heading back. They get to the cusp of going into land and and they send 12 spies into the land to see what's going on. 10 of them come back and say, no, 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 no. They're all big. They're too big. They're too big. We can't do this. Two of them, one named Joshua, one named Caleb says, no, they're big. They're tall, but we have God. We can do this. They believe the 10. And so God says, okay, fine. You want to live in the desert? We'll go with the desert. And they walk around the desert for 40 years until everyone over 20 dies. And the only two people that get to go in that are over 20 are Joshua and Caleb. That is the book of Numbers, wandering around. And at the end of Deuteronomy 2. Finally, all those people have kicked the bucket. No offense. They've all rebelled against God. They, he lets them all die in the wilderness. They head back in the second verse, same as the first. Now they're about to go in again. This time Joshua is now in control. He's in charge. Moses is gone. And this time they go into the land. They fight the battle of Jericho, Jericho, right? And they do all that. And for seven years, they conquest. They have a conquest of the land. That is the book of Joshua. At the end of Joshua... Joshua is about to die. He goes to all the 12 tribes. Okay, you guys go finish the job. It's about 80% done. Go finish the job. And he gives his famous speech to Israel. He says, choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And all the people are like, no, we're going with you, right? Could you guys go to that other setting up there too? Again, the back wall. Because I can't see the verses. (laughs) Um, Because my eyes are so bad, sorry. Uh, So I have to get it like mega fun. But the people say to him, what? No, 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 we will serve God too. The Lord, our God, we will serve him. His voice we will obey. And it's a real high point for Israel. They're like, yes, we're gonna go, we're gonna finish. Joshua, we're not gonna let you down. But here's the thing, they go from right here, we will serve, we will never forget to everyone did what was right in his own eyes, just like that. And what we're gonna see over the next couple weeks is there's constantly this cycle that keeps showing up in this book, right? This cycle where the people of Israel, they they fall away from their God. They rebel against their God. And so he brings them into servitude, into slavery, where the king of Moab or the king of Eglon or the king of whoever comes in and, and enslaves them for 20, 30, 40 years until finally they call out in sorrow. 
and say, God, forgive us. God, rescue us. And then there becomes this salvation piece again because God brings a judge, or you could translate it, a deliverer. And he raises up very famous names, some of them, some not so famous. I and mean, we've all heard of Samson and Gideon and, and Deborah. But we got some other folks in there like Jephthah and uh, Ehud and some others that'll be fun to work through. But time, 12 of them, 12, time and time again, this cycle comes and comes. And really, it, it really, as long as the judge was alive, the people did fine. As soon as he died, they fall back into it. And this is a book that just kind of highlights God's stubborn, consistent, faithful pursuit of his people when they wreck their own lives. He, they, they didn't have a king. He wanted them to see that he was the king. And they keep forgetting. They keep forgetting. And so for us, we get to talk about what does it look like to live under a king when no one wants a king, right? So that's kind of big picture. And what we're going to do now is we're going to just unpack chapter one. And it's kind of repetitive, so I'm going to hit the high points. And you can got to read through it this week as you're doing your homework. But it's just going to show how we went from we will not forget to we forgot, right? Because here, here's, here's what's, it, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long at all. And, and you, you almost start reading the book and you go, how did you go from Joshua 24 to, to Judges 1? What happened? I mean, what happened? You ever, you know, if you have kids, you've walked into a room before and said, what happened? Right? I mean, I mean, literally, I walk away for three minutes and what happened? It's almost what this is like. You walk into the room and you're like, what happened? What in the world just happened? I, I, we were just going so well. And I think that's real, I think this is fitting for where we're at right now, even time of year, because we all have, we've all made resolutions, right? We all have great intentions, just like the Israelites had great intentions. We will serve, we will follow, we will never. Some of us, we've made, we've made New Year's resolutions. I'm gonna lose however many pounds you find appropriate for you. I'm going to read a book this year, finally. I'm going to, you know, get plugged into the church. I'm gonna do all, you have all these great intentions. Awesome. But here, here's the problem. Culturally, and again, hopefully it's not us, 80% of folks who make resolutions break them by February, right? 80%. It's not very good success rate. But here's, here's, all, here's where that relates to us. I think most of us have great <coughs> intentions spiritually this year, right? We start off the year, okay, I'm going to read through my Bible this year until I've got this great sermon last week. I want to read every day, kind of chapter a day. I want to do this. I want to pray more. I want to get plugged in. I want to be in my community group. I want to serve. I, I have these spiritual goals awesome. But what I don't want us to do is have those great goals spiritually. These are good. And find out in, in February and be standing there saying, what happened? I want to be like the Israelites who say, we will not forget. And then a month later, we're, we forgot. And so what, well, as we unpack chapter one, what we'll, I want to show you why they failed so that we will not. Okay, because remember what Paul says, everything that was written is for our instructions, for our encouragement, it's for our endurance so we may have hope. So I want us to find some hope and, and their failures and we can learn from their failures and positively so we're not sitting around in February like, what happened? We wanna live with Christ as our king. Okay, so that's where we're going in chapter one, all right? Let me jump right in, verse one. So after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight them? Right? So Joshua is gone. They've had two tremendous leaders, Moses and then Joshua. Now there's nobody. And what do they do? 
It's really, oh, it starts off as good as it gets. It starts off with them saying, God, what do you want us to do? Who's up? Who's next? Here we are. <laughs> what do you want? It starts as good as it can get, right? And, and here, here's where I think this is important. It's very simple, but it's profound. If we're not going to kind of be by February saying, what, what happened? If we're going to not have just great intentions this year, we're actually going to see something through. I think the starting place for us as a church is to start by asking the king, right? I think we should start by saying, okay, God, what do you want? That's kind of the nature of a king, right? He's the king. He's in charge. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He has all authority and has been given to him in heaven and earth. So if he's the king, shouldn't we go to the king and say, what do you want? Where should I go? And I think this is our problem, y'all. As Americans, as those who are after the pursuit of everything that we want, we just start by saying, I'm going to do that, 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 I'm going to do that. So we take that job and we never ask God. We start pursuing that relationship, we never ask God. We make that big purchase that we could or could not afford, we never ask God. We make that move, we do all these things, and we've never even asked the king. And maybe that was fine, maybe it wasn't. Right? I think that we got to start so that we're not in February saying, what now? I think we've got to start asking the king. And then I think we have to ask beyond just like, okay, do you want me to buy? One of the things I would encourage you is say, hey, why don't you ask him, what do I need to work on this year spiritually? I mean, where do I need to be refined? Where am I rough around the edges? Right? Where, where do I need uh, you to come in? And maybe you want to start, maybe you start with the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you kind of go to Galatians 5 and just kind of read through the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, God wants you obviously to manifest all of the fruit of the Spirit, all nine. But maybe you just say, okay, God, which one do I really need? Maybe ask your wife, which one do I really need? And she's going to tell you that you need patience. So maybe 2019 is the year of patience for you. And you're going to pray, Lord, help me to be patient. And you're going to work through some, some verses and memorize some scripture and read. And you're going to hang out with some patient dudes because then you'll become more like them rather than these angry dudes you've been hanging out with because they're all Georgia fans and they're still mad. <laughs> all right? Or bitter. I don't know. Mad, bitter. Same thing. Whatever. But that, that's the idea. God, what do you want to do in me? Or maybe you're gonna, you could take our little paradigm for we, we, we gather to equip, we grow, and we have these five specs S-P-E-C-S, maybe kind of pray through. All right, Lord, which one of these am I really slack? Maybe E, E means engaged. I'm engaged with the culture for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you got people all over your office that are hurting, that are struggling, and you're so engaged with you that you don't even know that their mom has cancer, that they're struggling in their marriage, that they are about to go through a divorce. And maybe this is the year where you start engaging with people and you're present for the sake of the gospel. Or maybe this is the year that, you, you know, that, that final S is stewardship, that you, are, you got an extra $50 that you don't know what to do with, that you can start praying. Hey, maybe I should do, we got 12 local ministries that you could say, hey, maybe I should be generous to this $50 or give 20 here, 20 there, or maybe overseas. I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't know for you. I won't know for me unless I ask, Right? And when we ask, what does Jesus say? If you seek, you will find. If you knock, you ask, it'll be given. In James chapter one, the half-brother Jesus says, hey, you lack wisdom, you wanna know, you wanna be wise, 
Ask of God who gives generously without reproach and, and, and you'll be given wisdom. Make sure you believe though, because if you don't, you won't. You see, ask, I think we need to ask. And I think we need to keep asking. You know, what I, what I love about Talavo's message from last week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to Talavo's sermon from last week, you need to go online and listen to it, because it was tremendous. But one of the things he brought out that just stood out to me is it's, it's about frequency. It's about continual asking. It's about continual abiding. You know what? They never again in this chapter ask God, what do you want us to do? I think that's, I think that's key. They start great. By February, they're done. Because they don't keep asking. We have a God who has unlimited resources, who wants to lead you, who wants to guide you, who says, my sheep hear my voice. They listen to me. I want to speak to you. Ask him. Because when you do, he answers. What does he do for them? He answers. Verse 2, the Lord said, very profound. They asked, he said. Judah goes up. Judah's up first. Batting order, Judah. Right? And then, but notice what also he says. I have given the land into his. Not only has God give direction, he gives a promise. I've already, I've already done this. This is a done deal. It's in a tense in the Hebrew that kind of highlights it's done. Yeah, you still got to do it, but it's done. It sounds very much like Ephesians 2.10, that God has prepared good works beforehand for you that you may walk in them. Right? When we ask, not only does he direct, but he provides. And so if we're not going to end up saying by February, what happened? Like them, we got to start with asking God. Let's continue. Verse 3. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory a lot of me that we may fight against the Canaanites and I like us will go with you into the territory. So Simeon went with him. And, and you got to understand, Judah is like big wig in Israel, okay? Judah's like varsity. Simeon is like JV. I mean, they are their brothers, but let's be honest. Here's a slide of kind of, let me move this out of the way so some of y'all can see a little bit better. Maybe you're not, maybe I'm blocking the rest of you. I don't even know, but I'm just going to get it out of the way. Can you guys still see over here? Okay, good. As long as you guys can see. All right, so this is the, the map of the, of the allotment of the tribes. Notice what Judah's got. I mean, Judah's got it all. They got southern coast, you know. It's, it's the biggest, most powerful. Obviously, the Messiah comes from him. The kings all come from him. Simeon has like a little gated community inside, right? All the big cities. Bethlehem, Jer you know, Jerusalem is right there on the border. Judah's where it's at. But what does he do? He asks his little brother, come with me. Help me and I will help you. I love that. We would say that, that, that that's community, right? They are working together, right? And, and two, Ecclesiastes says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward in their toil, right? You get more out of two. It goes on in Ecclesiastes 4 to say, hey, you want to stay warm at night? Two people laying together is better than one. That means married people. Single people, don't, date, you're not, don't use that as a pickup line, guys. Or if you want to stay warm, come over. I'll help you. All right, it doesn't count. I'm married. It goes on to say later, a one guy gets beat up by an opponent. Two guys can hold his own. But a, but a three, a group of three, a cord of three is hard to break. What's the idea? It's, it's your design to work together. And so if we want to see fruit, if we want to not quit, if we don't want to say, what happened? Just like it, work Together, don't go in alone, right? I mean, this, you, if you're married, you get this, especially if one of, your, one of, the, one of the couples says, I wanna go on a diet. If one in the, in the marriage is, is on a diet and the other one is scarfing down ho-hos, it it's not gonna work well. 
Because the ho-ho guy is not, it's always the guy eating the ho-hos, by the way. It, he's not going to start eating the spinach. She's going to start eating the ho-hos. It's the way it is. You can't go in alone, right? If you, if you and a buddy, if you, if you say, I'm going to start waking up every morning, I'm going to run at 6 o'clock, and it's going to be great, guess what? In a week and a half, you're going to hit the snooze at least once. But see, if you have a buddy that's waiting for you down at Lake Mayer, and you're meeting him at 630, you're going to wake up and feel the same. I don't want to go. It's cold. I'm tired. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you want, you're going to want to hit the snooze, but you're going to be guilted probably, unless you're a really bad friend, and some of you probably are. You're going to go because your buddy's waiting for you, and you're going to be super mad if he blows you off, right? But there's an accountability piece that just gets you up. That's the idea. It's working together. That's how you were designed. And so working together might mean you just need to ask for advice and not go in alone. You feel like God's calling you to start this business or take this loan or whatever. Don't go in alone. Hey, buddy, could you pray with me about this? You've done this before. Can I have advice? You're going you're gonna to blow it up you go in alone. Right? I, I, you got to ask for help. Like, I got, I got teenagers. You had teenagers. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Should we, should we move? I'm thinking about moving in this career. Is it lateral? Ask for help. God has given wisdom and, and people for, for accountability. Teenagers, let me just encourage you. I know you think your parents are not cool, and they're probably not. They were at one day, right? They rolled their cuffs up, and they wore vans, and they were cool, and they skateboarded, right? But they're not now. That's fine. I get that. But they do not want to destroy your life. They don't want to blow it up. They actually want to help you. So I would encourage you, ask for help. Tell them when you're struggling. Don't go to your 15-year-old boyfriend who you're convinced is the wisest man in the world. He's not. He's an idiot. <laughs> and so is your 18-year-old boyfriend too, by the way. Your parents are there. And, and parents, you need to ask your kids. You need to be willing to say, how can I help you? And how can I encourage you? And how do I not? Help me to be a better parent. See, we work together. We need each other. And my, it might mean you're, you're meeting with a group of ladies once a week and you're doing a book study and you're talking and you're encouraging each other and you're, and how, what are you learning and how are you this and how are you loving your children? How are, you know, how, how are you staying pure in your singleness and you're meeting with a bunch of single guys and you guys are keeping, I don't know, but whatever it is, that's just why we ask what it is and then we work together. And I think frequency again is key because never again in this chapter do you see two tribes working together like this. Never to one you say, one say, come up with me and I'll come with you. And it's a shame. And it's going to blow up on them. Right? We have the same king. We have the same scripture. We have the same spirit. We ought to be together. Right? We ought to be together. You want, we don't want to end up saying, what happened? Just like they did. We don't want to go from, we will never forget to, every man did what was life in his own eyes. Right? Ask and work together. Let's keep moving. Verse 4. We're going to start moving a little bit quick now. Judah went up with the Lord, and the Lord gave the Canaanite and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Why would they do that? So he can't pick up a sword again, right? Can't fight without a thumb. Kind of, you know. And so Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off, used to pick up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. What you see is the kind of first hiccup 
It's going to come back. Like, everything's been going well. And, and really, it's just one little hiccup. And you kind of go through verse 8 uh, and 10, and you see that Jerusalem, they head, Judah heads south, and they take Jerusalem, and they head out into the Negev, and they do all these things. You see in 12 and 13, you know, you can read it, Caleb, who was this, you know, old guy at the time, probably 60 plus, and he says, hey, whoever captures that city, I'll give my daughter for a wife. And so Othniel rises up, and we're going to see him in a couple weeks. He's one of the judges, and he goes, and he captures it, and he gives Akish his daughter, and then she's going to ask, okay, dad, can I have a well with this Negev, which he gave me, because the desert's no good without a well. And you kind of see victory after victory, and things are going pretty well, except for this one little hiccup in verse 6 and 7, where they cut off this guy's thumbs and big toes. You're like, why is that a hiccup? Because God never told them to do that. He told them to drive them out or get rid of them. And what he has done, and, it, and you can justify it and say, well, this is what he did. He, had, he sees it as justice. I did this to 70 kings. I just got justice, right? But what you see is, is mutilation is a pagan practice. It was not something the people of God were supposed to do, right? And they are now slowly and subtly adopting the standards of the people around them. Real, real small. Just one little thing. And you can even justify it. Well, he did it to them, so we just did it, and it's kind of teleonic, and we're just kind of doing that. But see, here's the problem. God said, drive them out or destroy them. Right? Do not make deals with them. Do not. Because he knew that it would come back to haunt them if they didn't. And what starts so small, just one little, huh, one little hiccup. By the end of the chapter, it is a snowball that is running and running and running, and it's blown up, and it's huge. And the way that the actual, the author, I think probably was Samuel, we're not sure exactly, uh, but the way the author organizes this chapter is he purposely starts small and he builds it up to a snowball because he wants you to see this is how we got to everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So you got just one little bump here, right? But then you jump down to verse 23, the house of Joseph, that's Ephraim and Manassas, uh, they scouted out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city. They said, please show us the way into the city. We will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city. And they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man and his, went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called his name Luz. And his name is Luz to this day. He said, you weren't supposed to make any covenants. You weren't supposed to make any deals. Well, he helped us get into the city. God could have helped you get in the city. A little compromise started small. It's just one dude. It ends up a city. And then you go into the next couple chapters. Manassas didn't drive out the inhabitants of his cities, right? Notice what it says at the end. The Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, it should say, when Israel grew strong, they kicked their butts. It says, when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to labor. So that, now, they're, now they're saying, well, we don't... Let's make them do it. They got to build I-95, I-16, 516, 526. Let's let them do it. Not us. We'll be the supervisors. We'll put them to work. That's what we'll do. We'll make them our servants. They didn't drive them out completely. And then you, keep, you see a bunch of them from 28 down, they all do that. You're like, doom, 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 doom. They all do the same thing. And by the end of the chapter, you get Dan. Little Dan is kind of a coastal, coastal tribe. The Amorites, who lived in their place, they pressed them back into the hill country. They didn't even allow to come them in. So Dan is on the, is on the coast here. They actually have some, some up here too, but uh, they got beachfront property in Joppa. I mean, nice. They don't get to enjoy it. 
They gotta live in the mountains because the Amorites are pressing them. Wait, it's their inheritance, it's their, God is blessing them with this and they don't even get to be part of it. They gotta live in the, in the, in the cold, icy mountains and they can't live by the beach. Right? They don't get to live out what God has supposedly blessed them with because in the end of compromise. And it's just snowballed all from a start, cutting off a couple thumbs and a couple to- big toes. That's, see, that's the, way it, that's the way it works. That's how it starts. It's just a little bit of compromise, a little bit of partial obedience. Right? We will never forget we forgot. And so the encur- my encouragement to you this morning, if you don't want to be by February 8th, forgetting everything you said you were gonna do and all the great intentions. Right? We ask and we work together and we don't compromise. Just don't compromise. And I'm not talking about you and your, you know, your spouse wants to go Mexican, you wanna go Chinese and you're like, ah, no, I'm, I'm talking about playing with sin. Don't play with sin. Because it starts out small. It starts out, well, he did it, so we'll do it to him. And what ends up is we become like him. It starts off one little, it's just one guy, it's just one family, we'll let him go. One guy turns into a city, right? It's, it starts out, we'll make them be our servants, and it ends up as we are serving them, right? It always, that's the way it always is. Just like when you start playing with things, when you start compromising, like think about resolutions. When you compromise your diet, right? You know, we're trying to eat, my wife and I try to eat healthy in the new year, trying to cut sugar. So, you know, New Year's Day, man, I went out and I grilled some chicken and I made some, I made a big old nice healthy dinner. We're drinking water. And I'm like, man, isn't this great? But see, in the back of my mind, I know something she doesn't. There's nutty buddies in the closet. Because I put them there. And I hid them so the kids wouldn't find them. Because in our house, if you put cookies or something out, they're gone like a day. So you got to hide the sweets. So I got nutty buddies hidden behind in the closet and I'm all playing all like, yeah, I'm healthy. What do I do? I go just eat one nutty buddy and you just can't eat one nutty buddy. That's just the way they are. You will continually until the box is empty, eat them. So you have to kill the nutty buddy or the nutty buddy kills you. <laughs> can't play with nutty buddy. It's, just, it's the same with sin. You can't play with it. You can't have what I call bad guy syndrome. You know, you go to every movie, there's a good guy, there's a bad guy. Bad guy captures the good guy. Bad guy ties him up and does some some elaborate thing how he's going to die. So he's like, oh, you're going to die anyway. So he tells him his whole plan, how he's going to destroy the universe. Good guy gets away, kills bad guy. Every movie. And, And we do that with sin. We think, oh, I got bad guy tied up. I good guy tied up. I can control him. I can handle him. He gets away and he comes back and kills you. That's sin can't play with it. I know you, I know you think it's just a little lie. It's a little lie. I'm just telling my parents a little lie. And, and, and it ends up social media with pictures that should never have been taken. Sneaking out of the house with a group of people going to places you just have no business going. Start small. I'm just going to try it one time. It's just one, you know, one time. I know it's not good. I know it's not wise. I know it's not legal. Just one time. And and, and it ends up down the road potentially enslaving addiction. Right? Well, we're going to be married anyway, so who cares? Everyone else is doing it. We might as well just move in a little early. It doesn't really matter. Purity. We're going to get married. You got a ring. I got a ring. We got a date. We put down payments. We're going to be married anyway. Or I shouldn't tell anybody. I know they shared this with me in confidence, but it's so good and I can't believe it that they would say that. So I'll just tell one person. 
right? I can't really afford it. I mean, we're behind payments and we have all this debt, and really, but I deserve it, right? It starts small and it ends in slavery. It always does. That's the nature of sin, y'all. Satan's never going to show you the end result. He wants to show you the, the, oh, it's not a big deal. Great quote from Ravi Zacharias. He says, sin will take you further than you want to go. It's true. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And what God is trying to get his people to see is, I am a good king. Trust me. I know how this ends. What you're going to happen is if you don't deal with it, you know, your, your kid's going to see well, uh, that guy's daughter and they're going to think they're each other are cute. And you're going to think, oh, isn't that sweet? They love each other and they're going to get married. And she's going to bring her gods into this deal and you're going to bring your gods into this deal. And so it's going to be Baal and it's going to be uh, Yahweh. And who's going to win that? God doesn't share his glory with another. And the next generation is not even going to know who I am. They're not going to love me with their whole mind, hearts, and strength. And that's exactly what happens. That's how you go from we will not forget to we forgot just like that. And it always starts small. So if, you're, if you got some hidden sin in your life right now and you're playing with it, let me encourage you, put it to death. Colossians says, put it to death. You gotta put it to death. I mean, you got that little flirty relationship with the secretary. You got that little uh, hidden addiction that no one knows about. You got that little whatever. And you think, oh, it's not a big deal. You might even be thinking, hey man, nothing's happening. That's what Israel's thinking. At the end of this chapter, the problem is they're winning. Right? They're winning. So you could say, well, it worked. We're winning. We're in control. But you can be in, you can have all the marks of victory and be, be losing the battle. Right? Just like Saul. He goes off and he wins the battle and he was supposed to take out the Amalekites and take out their king and take out everything. And Samuel shows up and he says, we won. We did what God wanted. And Samuel says, well, why is the king over there? And why are our, all these sheep here? He says, oh, I was just going to give them to God as a sacrifice. And he loses the kingdom over this. God, Samuel says to him, has the Lord delight in burnt offerings, sacrifices, as in obeying the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's the, it's the little thing, Saul. I'm not impressed with the big victory. I just wanted you to obey me. And for some of us, your small compromises now, I'm telling you, this is why I tell young people. You're making decisions now. I know it's scary. You're 15 years old. I get it. You shouldn't be making decisions at 15 that are going to influence you, but you are. The friends you choose, the entertainment, how you handle social media. And I know it's challenging. I know it is. But you're making little decisions now that will shape you the rest of your life. Right? Don't compromise now. And the beauty, the beauty about our Savior is this. He, he is... He is so, uh, it, not, he's not impressed with the big decisions and the big faith and the big, he's not looking for the spectacular. He's just looking for simple obedience. He doesn't look for great faith. He says, I want faith the size of a mustard seed, right? He's not looking for great long prayers that impress him with big theological language. He's just looking for consistency. He's not looking for you to be faithful in the big. He actually says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a little. You'll be rewarded with much. Right? And so the encouragement for us is, look, just a little obedience, the step-by-step, the day-by-day. Right? That's, that's how we continue this walk. That's how we live under this king. That's how in February we're still going. We just day-by-day. Day. And if you're compromising today, put it to death. Right? We've got to trust this king who has proved and demonstrated he's, he wants our best. So we 
ask and we work together and we don't compromise in one more thing, right? Go back to verse 18 and kind of into the long scheme of like it explaining Caleb did this and all these things happened. There's just another kind of failure on behalf of Judah. And it's super interesting when you look at it. It says, Judah captured Gaza with his territory, Ashkelon with his territory, Ekron with his territory. That's good. And the Lord was with Judah. That's good. And he took the possession of the hill country. That's good. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain. Why? Because they had iron chariots. Thinking, that's weird. So God can't take out some iron chariots. It says, it says God was with them and they couldn't do it. That makes no sense, right? If God is with you, you should be able to do it. Is, is the problem God? No, because we're going to see in a couple chapters later, Deborah is going to go after some chariots and old girl is going to get them. And in Joshua, he tells them, hey, you, you, you're going to come across some chariots? It's not a big deal. I got it. So what's the problem? Why couldn't they take out the chariots? I think, you know, it doesn't say specifically, but here's, here's my gut. I think it's because it was hard. It's a little bit harder, right? It, it took a little bit more perseverance, and they gave up. They quit. They didn't trust God that he could do this. It got a little bit hard, and they kind of backed out. And, and here's the thing. And you need, you need to know this. You need to hear this. You need to be reminded. Sometimes God's going to call you to do stuff, and it's going to be easy, and it's just going to happen. You're going to be like, wow, that was great. Did you see how God worked? And so other times God is going to call you to do something, and it's going to be hard. And you're not going to see instant success, and it's not going to all of a sudden go right. In fact, it might go wrong. And the encouragement for us is this, is don't quit. Don't quit, right? Don't quit by February. It's going to get hard. Right? Just like some of you are like, you're gonna, you want to exercise. Great. I went running on January 1st down at Lake Mayor. I mean, it was like I-95. I'm running around. He's weaving in and out. I mean, the average BMI was unhealthy. Let's just say that. And that's great. I'm glad folks are getting healthy in the near. We all need to take care of our temples. Right? But here's the thing. Everyone was out there because it was beautiful and sunny and warm and it's just nice and there's no football until tonight so we can do this and it's great. Let's see it on February 1, when it's cold and windy and cloudy and, you know, after Lake Mary gets boring after like one trip, right? You're like, okay, I've seen that pond, right? So let's see some perseverance when it gets hard. Sometimes Christians quit so easy, y'all. I'd encourage you, don't quit. Don't quit. It's going to be hard. Jesus says, broad is the, is the gate and, and easy is the road that leads to life, to destruction and many find it. Narrow is the gate and hard is the road that leads to life and few find it. He tells us it's going to be hard. You know what's hard is, is, is staying in marriage when marriage is hard, right? Is, is loving your spouse when they're unloving. You know what's hard is raising kids, being discouraged by people when you feel like you're finally moving in a direction and you get smacked upside the head by someone you thought cared about you. It probably does, but you just don't know how to speak. You know, it's hard is when you've been attacked unfairly and all these people are gossiping about you and you want to go and get ahead of that and talk to every single one of those, but you feel like God's saying you need to hush and let your character kind of prove itself. That's hard because that might take one, two, three, four years to restore that. That's hard. It's hard when you've prayed, God, please do X, and he doesn't do X, he does Y. 
That's hard. It's hard when you don't get to get into school you want. It's hard when you get dumped. It's hard. Life is hard. Christian growth is hard. Right? That's okay. Forgiving people is hard. Like, we face chariots all the time. But you know how you take out a chariot? One chariot at a time. One at a time, baby. And guess what? If you wake up and you get bowled over by a chariot, you wake up tomorrow and you go right back at it because his mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. It's gonna be hard. I'm just telling you. Following Jesus in a world that doesn't want a king is hard. Jesus told us this. In this world, you have trouble. Take her as I've ever come. So don't quit. This is why we work together so that if you wanna quit, I ain't gonna let you quit. And when you fall down, I'm gonna pick you up and throw you on my shoulder and we're gonna go. And then when I fall down, you're gonna pick me up and throw you on your shoulder. What happens if you fall down and you got nobody? You die. You flounder. That's what happens. That's why you work together, right? These things all go together, right? And, and if you have failed, let's close out with chapter two. This is kind of the culmination. You're like, why are you in chapter two? Because their chapter divisions are not original and this is the culmination of their compromise, right? Remember, we're asking the question, how did they go from we're not gonna fail to failure? How did they go from we're not gonna forget to forgetting? Chapter one tells you they compromised. They, they didn't ask. They did, they did all these things. But here's what God's response is. The angel of the Lord. Now, remember, when we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, he often identifies as God himself. Uh, so he, it says it's the angel of the Lord, but then it says I, which leads me to believe that this is, this is God incarnate. This is actually probably the second person of the Trinity, Jesus before Bethlehem, showing up as the angel of the Lord, and he speaks to the people. He goes from Gilgal, which is a place of victory, to Bacham, which is a place of weeping, and he said, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you in the land. We looked at that on the board. I gave it to your fathers. I said, I'll never break my covenant with you. I, I said to make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land that you shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? This is our what happened question, right? So he says, now I say, I will not drive them out before you. They shall become thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. I'm not gonna do it now. I'm not gonna drive them out, right? This is the consequences of their sin. He's going to let the natural consequences love. But even in doing that, here's what I want you to see. This is an act of grace because God does not let his people sin successfully. He's going to bring discipline. He's going to bring them to a place where they have to go back to him. And that's what he does. And he has not, here's God's grace in this. He has not abandoned them. He should say, okay, you're done. You go. I'll pick a new guy. But he is, is relentless in his pursuit of these people, even though they're going to fall. Time and, we're going to get to like the fifth time around, and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, God, why do you keep saving them? Let them go. And he keeps sending deliverers. He keeps sending saviors. You're, you're going to be frustrated. But let me, in that moment, remind you, guess what? He does the same thing for you. He does the same thing when you fail time and time in time. That is the kind of king he is. He is the king of grace. And so what happens, they respond saying, uh, as soon as the angel of the Lord speaks these words, the people wept. They, they bacham, right? They were weepers. And they called the place bacham. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. They worship. It's interesting. I read all the commentators, a bunch of them, they're like, well, it wasn't true worship. It wasn't true repentance because, you know, and I'm like, how do you know? You weren't there. And, and their reasoning was, well, they went right back and did it a couple years later. I'm like, I do too. I mean, 2000 is the year, of, 19 is the year of patience for me. 
It just takes me getting to Duran. Okay, I just blew 2019. I'm done. So do you. And I'm not saying we don't want to see growth there. But the point is this. They have a God who did not abandon them. He did not break his covenant. He will continue rescue. If we confess our sins, he is continually faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. And so if you're the, you're the one who's quit, or you're the one who's compromised this morning, or you're the one who isn't asking, or you're the one who is not working together, I would encourage you to run to this king. Wherever you've been, run to this king. Because Jesus says, when you run to this king, this king is already running to you. Story of the prodigal son. That this, this God, three, 1,300 years later after this, is going to send his son into the world to purchase our salvation on a cross, even though we wanted nothing to do with him, even though we put him there. That's the kind of king he is. So we want to live under that king, even though everyone says we don't want a king, because everyone needs a king. So how do we not go from, where we'll do this, to, what did we say? From good intentions to disaster, to from we will not forget to forgetting, we ask and we work together and we don't compromise and certainly y'all, we don't quit. And if you need us to help you in any way or you need prayer or you need, uh, we got guys and girls in the back that'll pray for you after service, please come up, fill out a card, put it in the box. We wanna talk to you, we wanna help you. Part of working together is saying we need help. I need help with my job. I need help with our finances. We need help with this. Get into a community group, get into some people, right? It's easy to jump in and, and then quit. It's easy to start serving and then give up. Don't quit. Persevere. God's presence is with us, right? Let's stand, let's pray, and let's reflect and worship. Father, I ask that you would, uh, as we just kind of move to sing, let our hearts be kind of just quieted again. And if there's something that we need to do or, or be or any direction we need to move in, I just pray it wouldn't be good intentions. We, yeah, we'll, go, we'll start doing that. Now that we would be doers of the word, that we would move towards you, that your spirit would give us strength. And if someone doesn't know Christ that's here that feels like they're too far gone, that you would just show them that Christ uh, is sufficient for all these things. Uh, that, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our trespasses. There's nothing that's too great for him to forgive. It's in his holy name we pray, amen.